Good morning. It's great to see you all here today, and welcome to those of you joining us online. I'm glad you're joining us that way. Pray that God blesses you. Um, by the way, if you're joining us online, we're doing communion later on, so you might want to prepare for that uh, moment. I want to begin this morning with some background information that's needed for the message that I'm going to share to you uh, from the book of Daniel. The Israelites in their exodus had spent a large amount of time in the wilderness. Whenever God's people spend time in the wilderness, um, we need to kind of listen to that language. It means that in that barrenness, in that depravity kind of situation, God usually reveals a real deep truth about himself uh, to his people. So frequently when, when people are going through a trial or going through a difficult time, they'll refer to it as a wilderness experience. And that, that, that's good biblical uh, language. And so the people of God, uh, the Israelites get to Mount Sinai and God calls Moses up onto the mountain. And he begins to reveal himself to Moses in a new, deeper way. And he says, the whole earth is mine. And the people that you're leading, they're mine. And he said, the purpose of these people is to be my nation, to be a nation of priests, to be a holy nation. And in essence, God gives them the purpose of their existence as his followers. You're to be priests and you to be a holy people. And that's been our, our, our kind of our theme this year as we walk through some of these series, uh, uh, that we have to see ourselves as this holy people of God set apart for his purposes, that so to speak, we're priests for God wherever we find ourselves in whatever station of life uh, we're participating in. Interesting, as the story of the Exodus continues, God tells the Israelites and us, this is what holiness looks like. And he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And I think sometimes people just don't understand such things in the Bible. They think the Ten Commandments are something that you dutifully follow to make yourself okay with God. Huh, uh, huh, uh, thousand times no. What they are are the prescription for what it means to be a holy people, to follow God in the way he prescribes. Now, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and asking Jesus in our heart, the laws that God externally wrote become written on our hearts, right? And so things like the Ten Commandments, they don't become just things we dutifully follow. They become something that we, in, we embrace and, and inhale, so to speak, into our spirits. So anybody remember the first two commandments? This is not, it's not hard. It's not tricky at all. Commandment number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? You all get really nervous when I ask you questions like that. Like, we might get the wrong answer. No, you shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. Commandment number two is very much like it. You shall not make an idol and bow down to it. And getting a little bit more specific in the second commandment, we're told that we should make no likeness of, of something in heaven or on the earth or even in the water and never bow down to it. Now this background, friends, is super important to understand. For the Israelite, these ten commandments, man alive, they were, they were what delineated them from other people's. They are what made them holy in God's sight, so to speak, that they followed these kind of commandments and followed the Lord God. So now they're in this foreign land of Babylon. And these, these uh, friends of, of, uh, of Daniel, um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to face a test. And it's going to have to do with these commandments. So we're to chapter 3 in, in Daniel. And I simply call the first part of this uh, uh, chapter, The Test. And I'm going to read it to you now, and then you'll see why I talked to you about these commandments. Okay, here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high. 
that's 90 feet. And six cubits, nine feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other uh, provincial officials assembled for the dedication uh, of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set it up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations of the people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever! Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage... Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, that, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my God or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lar, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? There you go. There's the test. Now you see why we talked about the commandments, right? But here's a simple summation of the test for these young men. They were to bow down to the 90-foot idol of Nebuchadnezzar, or they're going to be thrown in a fire to die. This is the test they faced. As we read here earlier, or as I shared with you earlier, this Scripture, this command of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel uh, chapter 3 was in direct violation to commandments 1 and 2. Amen? This is a big deal to these guys. They can't do this and, and, and follow after God. Now, it's hard to imagine how big this statue really was. Any of you ever drive through Chamberlain? South Dakota. Not Minnesota. South Dakota Chamberlain, right? Do you ever see the dignity statue there? It's on the... It's on the She's 50 feet tall. Okay? The, the statue that he put up was how tall? 90 feet. Basically twice as tall as her. Now, look at the person standing next to that statue. They look kind of tiny, don't they? Imagine that statue is twice as tall. I have an in-person comparison. I have Legolas from Lord of the Rings here. <laughs> Figurine, right? He's about six inches tall. Uh, you know, he's one fifteenth basically my height, a, a little bit more. Okay, so he is like me. If I was a, if I was a statue of gold, this is what I would look like in comparison to him. Does that not seem audacious to you? Over the top, ridiculous. 
like crazy? Who does this kind of stuff? I mean, evidently, King Nebuchadnezzar does. And, and, and so, um, he, he, he's this audacious, narcissistic guy that says, I'm going to put up this humongous image, and all you people are going to submit to it and bow uh, to this idol. Now, interestingly enough, who tattled on the Jews? The astrologers. Now, if you remember from chapter 2, a couple weeks ago I talked on this, that um, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he sees a statue in his dream, and, and he tells him, I'm not going to give you my dream, and you have to tell me the dream and then interpret it. And none of the astrologers or magicians or enchanters could do that, but there was one person that could do it, it was Daniel. Daniel got the dream from God and the interpretation. And he goes to Ariok, the, the one in charge of their execution, and he says, don't kill the wise men. I've got the dream, and I'll tell you the interpretation too. Now, I thought, that's really merciful. This was a good opportunity for Daniel to get rid of his, what, competition. He could have said, oh, Ariok, I have the dream. God has given me the dream and given me the interpretation. Kill all these other guys. They're fakes, they're fraudulent, they should just die. But instead, what does he do? He extends mercy. He says, don't kill them. How do they return that favor? They tattle on them. Why? Because they want the Hebrews killed. They want them out of the way. They see them as competition. And I was thinking on this, you know what? God's ways aren't, aren't the ways of this world. We can't get upset when the world treats us with ill. We have to work our ways of life according to God's ways, no matter what comes our direction. Uh, we are not of this world. We are of a, of a different world. We are of the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We have got to understand that because if, if they don't understand that here, these Hebrew boys would get really, really upset. But they don't. And we can see here, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> he has no self-concept problem at all. This guy's prideful. He's narcissistic on steroids, man. He is crazy. So Nebuchadnezzar, this is point number two, demanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego violate the first and second commandment, which was in direct opposition to God's call on his people to be holy. This is what it looks like to be holy. You see, he says, in that, before he gives the Ten Commandments, he says, I want a nation of priests, a holy people. Then he gives what? The Ten Commandments. They go together, friends. Amen? He said, this is how you're holy. Love only God. Serve him only. Have no other idol. Do not bow down any other things. That's how it all begins. This is how you're holy people. This is how you're set apart uh, for, for God. And so these young Hebrew men, when Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to my idol, he's, no, no. We're to be a holy people set apart to our God. You see, the, this was the issue. Now, I remember at 3M, getting promoted to plant engineering manager here uh, when I was young, in my early 30s. For some of you, that's old. For me, that's really a long way in the rearview mirror right now in my life. And I remember getting promoted. And, and so um, every Wednesday, we had a staff meeting that we, we would have and, and talk about, um, you know, the business and what we're going to do. And they began that meeting in a way I was not aware of because I was a new kid on the block, Right. They would all throw a dollar on the table, and they would play a gambling game, okay? And so I get into this the first time. I go, oh, boy, because in my life, I had adapted a conviction that I won't gamble no matter what for anything. Even when people wanted to flip for a drink, I'd say, I'll just pay for you. 
Um, and there was a reason for this. I, when I was in Pella, Iowa, for, for about a decade down there, I, I met a man named Ralph McKay, who worked at 3M with me, who also went to the church I went to, who became really good friends with me. And Ralph had had a gambling problem when he was young. And we got to know each other while he had shared how guys would go to this gambling game that they would have at night, and they would gamble away the paycheck for two weeks. He said, I remember one time, I knew I had a problem when a guy's wife came in crying, said, don't give our money away. What are you doing? You know? And he said, I've, I, I just walked out of that room never to gamble again. And he said, this gambling can kill people. And I, so I never had that problem. I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that in my life. I just adopted it as kind of what I would call a casual conviction. You ever been there? Well, now all of a sudden, it's, do I believe this or not kind of conviction. And so I'm at this, at this uh, quandary, in my, and I don't know what to do. So I went to my, my, my boss, and I made an appeal. That I, I said, you know, I, I just don't want to participate in this gambling game if, I, if you'll just excuse me from it. I'll just throw the buck in. It's not about the buck. I could care less. I'll just throw the buck in, but just let me not play the game, okay? And I, I kind of explained some of the stuff I just said to you, and I thought, oh, I hope this works out. You ever been there? Now, I'm going to just say something here. Gambling is not part of the Ten Commandments. So I'm not putting it on that level. But it was just something in my own life I didn't think I should do. All right? So he said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I wish I could tell you there was a happy ending to the story. There is not. <laughs> I get to the staff meeting next week. He said, well, Norby's wrecked it for everybody. We can't gamble because he doesn't want to do it. I go, oh, great. I'm blushing red. I'm just dying in my seat, you know. And it, didn't, it wasn't like, oh, look at this grand conviction this guy had. Look at this jerk who wrecked our fun, basically is what was said to me. And uh, so sometimes it doesn't turn out to be all that pleasant. But get this. There are these things like this where, okay, maybe I had that conviction on that. Maybe you don't, Jason. I don't know. You know what I mean? If, if you want to go par, buy a Powerball and waste your money, that's, that's your Go ahead. The odds are about 10 billion to one that you'll win. If you just want to throw your money away, throw it my direction. I'll take it. You know what I mean? But that's my take on most of that kind of stuff. You just, it's mathematically kind of irresponsible to do it. But anyway, I'm not even trying to talk you. But anyway, sometimes we have convictions on some things and some of us have them, some of us don't on things of, of that kind of nature, like, like maybe gambling or, or whatever. Uh, I, that's not on the same level as the Ten Commandments. Listen, if a government official here, if an authority in your life, if a spouse, if a relative, if a friend says to you to deny Jesus Christ, you cannot do that as a follower of Christ. You have to stand your ground. If the government says for you to do something contrary to the Ten Commandments, if your friends tell you to do that, if a spouse tells you to do that, you what? You cannot do that. There are some black and white things in our lives as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to stand fast. We are quickly in our culture coming upon some of those very kind of issues. And the body of Christ is to stand fast. And we'll talk about how we do that in a few moments. But these, these young Hebrew boys, that's what they ran into. They are being asked to violate commandment one and two. And they said, we can't do that. We can't do that. This, that was the test. And if they were going to not submit to the king, they would face the consequences of the fiery trial. Um, so let me read the rest of Daniel 3 now for you, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible right there. We don't need to defend God. We just need to live for him. We don't need to defend him. He doesn't rise or fall on what we do. Amen? Church, did you hear that? We have to quit worrying about defending God and start worrying about following after him hard. He doesn't need our defense. He's able to take care of himself. I love, I love that scripture. It is so perspective setting. Here's what they say. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God to worship the image of gold you have set up. So basically they said, we're following God, no matter what the outcome is here. Pretty strong statement. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men from the tide fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. I think they poked them. Are you real? You didn't die? They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. The robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. God, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. I think that's his favorite saying, by the way. For no other God can save us in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. How would you like to deal with this king? Seriously. Every time he gives an edict, there's a threat. Have you noticed that? If you don't do it, I'm going to cut you into pieces and your house is going to be a pile of rubble. If you don't do what I say, you're going to be thrown into a fire furnace. And what we see here and learn from, from this interaction are some great insights about how to stay faithful in God in the midst of some very trying uh, kind of circumstances. Uh, we, we, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has a lot to learn, doesn't he? Next week in chapter 4, you'll see that he learns a lot. But for now, let's look at the fiery furnace trial and how these young Hebrew men handled it. So I call this insights from the fiery trial. First of all, stay faithful to God despite the reactions of others and possible repercussions. I'll say it again. Stay faithful to God despite the reactions of others and the possible repercussions. The young Hebrews would not bow down to this idol despite the reaction of others and the possible repercussions. And Nebuchadnezzar became furious and heated the fire seven times hotter, so it killed his strong men before they even got these, these Hebrew boys into the, into the furnace. Um, 
Now, they knew God might allow them to die. They said, well, we're not going to serve you even if we die. Um, so be it. They would follow God no matter what. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrated faith. They just demonstrated a faith that's kind of amazing here because the outcome wasn't necessarily that they would live. They could easily have died and perished here. They, they were not knowing what the outcome would be. So they just demonstrated this great faith in God no matter what, what's going to happen, no matter what the outcome. I want to share something here. This is more from my heart. And it can be an encouragement to you. It can be something that you may not necessarily uh, agree with. But I just want to talk to you about something here that I see in this story. Um, one of the benefits of having several people preach on, on series like we're doing here is I have more time to kind of look at the scripture and let it kind of ruminate in, in my soul. And, and I, I was looking at this, and I, I'm, I'm convinced that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't looking for a fight here. I think they would have quietly continued just to not bow to the graven image if they were allowed uh, to go unnoticed. But the astrologers tattled on them um, and made an issue of their refusal to bow. What I see today in our culture, I mean, you're going to readily see this, is a tendency to fight. Have you noticed that? And to look for a fight, to look to be offended. Has anybody else beside me noticed that? Everybody's looking to be offended about everything that they believe if you don't believe them. We don't, want, we don't want to be tolerant of one another. We want to be intolerant of one another. And everybody has to agree and endorse one another. And, you know, we're just facing this, this kind of what I would call intolerant fighting kind of attitude that can easily become part of the church's character too. And I think people still believe if I can get into power, the belief system I, can, I have can get into power, we can just legislate it. And everybody has to do it. Trouble is, legislation never changes a heart. It never really affects a person. And what, I, what I'm seeing here is, is, is that what God is calling his people to do is to be first and foremost concerned with living for him. Not even defending him. Just living for him. Living your life entirely different for him. And live it out. And listen, then the battle will come to you. <laughs> You're still going to be in the battle, friends. If you love Jesus, it's going to come to you. But you don't have to go hunting for the fight. It'll come to you. Live for Christ hard. Follow his ways hard. And understand, there will be reactions and sometimes repercussions. Live it anyway. God will take care of you. The battle is his. Do we trust him? That becomes the question. Do we follow hard after him? You're going to have plenty of opportunity to say that Jesus Christ is the only way. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to say, I also know other God, but the one true God. I won't put no graven idol for, before me. I won't put money before God. I won't put sex before God. I won't put, you know, my pride or my career or anything before God. Those are idols, amen? We won't put those idols before our God. That's what the world says to do. Make it all about you and your selfish pursuits. God calls us to be a holy people. Point number two here is this. Insight number two. Use the fiery trial as an opportunity to entrust yourself to God. Entrust yourself to God. These young men, they use the fiery trial as an opportunity to say, I trust wholeheartedly in God no matter what the outcome is. Um, and and the, the king had taunted them, what God can deliver you from my hand? There's a taunt. And they said, well, our God can. But if he chooses not to, we're still going to follow him. And we're still going to trust him. We're not going to bow down to you, king, or, your, or serve your gods. 
Um, uh, so much of the Christian faith, friends, is caught. As much as it's taught. Would you agree with me on that? People catch it as much as this as it's taught. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 tells us that we overcome the devil by the testimony of our mouth and by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just this kind of living out uh, aspect of God, uh, uh, following God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were just determined to follow God. You just, you just got to be determined and understand so much of what you do is just going to be caught by those around you. Now, in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story has a great ending. But it doesn't mean that we'll always have great endings. We have to understand that. Um, sometimes the endings aren't so great. One of the things that impresses me is some of the early church fathers and, 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 and some of the early church women, too, they, they live great lives of faith. And, and their lives didn't end so well. Um, one of my favorites is, is Polycarp. It's a great name, isn't it? Polycarp? I'm waiting for some of you who are babies to name one of your children Polycarp. I notice there's a trend going on right now uh, that, that young couples are naming their children with what I would consider like grandma and grandpa's name. Older names, right? Have you seen that? Some of you, now my grandma's name is Bertha. I'm waiting for one of you to name her kid Bertha. My grandpa was named Herman. Haven't heard any Hermans yet, but you know, who knows? Probably right around the corner. And so I'm waiting for one of you to have the courage to name one of your children Polycarp. It's a great old name. I mean, you want to go old, that's old. He, he's, a, he's an early church father right after the disciples and right at the time of the martyrs when, when so many followers were being martyred for the faith. So, so Polycarp, this great father of, of the faith, um, he's tied to the stake and he's being burned to death and he prays this prayer as this, 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 this being lit. He says this, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the knowledge of thee, the God of angels and powers and of all creation and of the whole race of the righteous who live in thy presence, I bless thee. For thou hast granted me this day and hour that I might receive a portion amongst the number of martyrs in the cup of thy Christ unto resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and of body, in the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit. May I receive among these in thy presence this day, may I be received among these in thy presence this day as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. As thou didst prepare and reveal it beforehand and hast accomplished it, thou art the faithful and true God. Now hear what he says. For this cause, yea, and for all other things, I praise thee, I bless thee, I glorify thee. Through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, thy beloved Son, through whom and with him and the Holy Spirit be glory now and for the ages to come. Amen. This is a man that's being burned to death. And this is the prayer that he prays. Maybe you just need to name your kid Polly, huh? Sorry. You guys are not, you're just, you're tired this hour. I shouldn't say those jokes. But at any rate, let me go to point number three here, insight number three. The outcome of the trial may have benefits that aren't that obvious. They may have benefits that aren't that obvious. From all human perspectives, when you read this story, especially the beginning of, of Daniel chapter three, the situation is pretty dire. The king's countenance is pretty sour. He's furious and he heated the fire seven times hotter and threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. But let's look at the outcome. Let's look at what happened because they placed their trust in God and they endured the fiery trial. Um, there, there, there's some outcomes that are totally unexpected here. Um, they entered bound, right? They entered into the fire bound, right? Fully dressed turbans and clothing, trousers and all that. And they were bound so they fell right into the fire, but they experienced being free. 
They're seen walking around with the fourth person that looked like uh, a son of the gods, according to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, the very thing presumed to be a destroying thing in their life became a liberating thing in their life. This is the way the things of God work. Sometimes the very trial that comes our direction, the very hard thing that comes our direction, whether it be of, you know, satanic or origin or be of human origin or whatever be the, the case, oftentimes becomes an agent that God uses, a tool that God uses to bring us a, a greater freedom in Christ Jesus. Um, James 1 tells us that, that we're to rejoice in trials because they produce in us this perseverance and they produce in us a maturity that we otherwise would never experience. Now, I know that a lot of us are really tired of COVID-19, and I'm sorry for bringing it up one more time because I'm super tired of it. So if you're just tuning out on me now because I used the C word, just, just hear me, please, on this. Um, when I look back over the last three or four years, it's, there's been like one kind of trial after another uh, that seems to be happening uh, to us. And I, I realize frequently how I had the wrong measurement in my life for success. Coming out of 3M, you know, you're measured by productivity, how much tape you make. I mean, how much, world, how much tape does the world really need? Seriously? We never could seem to make enough of it. Some of you at 3M, I'm sorry if I'm talking bad, but it's just, well, how much tape do you really need? Why are we working so hard to make all this tape all the time, you know? And it was always, we had a good year, but we can do better, blah, 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 right? It's just kind of exhausting after a while. They just, you never, ever are done. You never hit the goal, you know? You get there and you're, oh, let's stretch it all a bit. Well, the same thing happens in church life. Every year you report on numbers. How big are you? How many people are saved? You know, blah, blah, blah. Not that that's bad. It's exhausting. And what I begin to realize is I've never really cared about such things that much in my life. And the pandemic gave me an excuse to be loosed from them. I've readily rejoiced in the freedom that it brought. And I don't care about some things. And now I really don't care about them. Amen? And I'll never care about them again, no matter how much someone tries to yoke me up with that stuff. I don't care. It, it's, listen, Paul said, I, will, I, you know, I, I plant Apollos waters, but who grows it? God grows it, man. So you and I, we don't grow anything. Jesus Christ grows it. The Holy Spirit grows it, but we don't grow it. Amen, Amen right? It is it's true. I mean that with all my heart. I just don't worry. I, I, I'm called to what? Be like the boys here in, in, in the fire furnace. I am called to what? Just follow God hard. Preach to you as much as I can the truth of God, and God does it. I don't do anything. Uh, rejoice in the results. We've had the best year we ever had this last year. Ah, it's hilarious. Because <laughs> I don't care. I thought, I looked at the numbers, I said, what in the world? We averaged that many people. I didn't know that. I had no idea. You know why? Because I honestly, I honestly, it's, it's not an indice that determines who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? And I, I just want you all to know Jesus Christ. You hear in my heart here today? I want you to follow Jesus Christ's heart. I want you to stand fast in his ways. And, and, and you know, I'm, I just feel like a freedom the last couple of years that I've never felt in my life because I let this thing that was trying to destroy us be a tool in God's hands to conform me more to the image of Jesus Christ. And what matters to Christ now matters more than ever to me. And what doesn't matter to Christ, I don't care about. How about you? That's using the trial rightly.
All right, let's go on to, um, to this, wherever I'm at now, I'm, I really went off, off page here. Okay, they end up bound and they experience being freed. Let's go on to the second, second, um, second outcome. It's this, they experience a new level of fellowship with God. Okay, so they're seen in the furnace, walking around with a fourth person that looked uh, like the Son of God. Um, there's a couple thoughts on this, a couple schools of, of understanding from scholars. There, there's one called this, this Christophany, which they thought this is a pre-incarnate Christ walking with these boys in the fire. I kind of like that interpretation. You, you don't know what sure, for sure who it was. We can only surmise. Other scholars think it was maybe an angel walking with them. Either way, what happened? They got a first-hand conversation with a heavenly being, amen? You think that changed them at all? What do you think? I think it changed them like crazy. I mean, if they were convinced of going into the fire, saying, hey, I'm going to go, if what happens, happens. If I live, great. If I die, great. But now I get to meet a heavenly being in the midst of the flames. You think they came out different? What do you think? Yeah. Sometimes we can only experience a depth in Jesus Christ by going through something that we don't understand, we can't handle, we can't manage, but we go in trusting God no matter what the outcome, and we come out the other side more strong than we went in. Amen? Sometimes that's just how life works. I have a saying I'm really fond of. Success or trials can do one or two things in your life, and I put them both together. They can drive you to God, or they can drive you from God. It depends on how you handle them. And how you use them. You can be successful and you can forget about God. And you can become self-sufficient and, and not do well. Or you can be one that faces a trial and become bitter. And become upset. And become a victim. And you can reject God. Or you can be successful and give thanks to God. And understand that he's the dispenser of every good gift. And you can become more generous with that gift that he's given you. And you can get a deeper depth of understanding of who he is. Or you can be someone that goes through a trial and you lose something dear in your life. And you can learn to depend on Jesus Christ more than you ever have. And you can grow in depth and knowledge and understanding of Christ. It depends on how you handle it. They're the same thing for two people. can take them to a very different place. Depending on how you handle it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Either it can drive it to him. Or away from him. Hebrews 12 verses 5 through 11 tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves. In other words, what he's saying is he's using all things to benefit us, to bring us into the conformity of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. I'll get into that more as we we go on here. One last outcome is this. The trial created an opportunity for more significance and influence. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes the way that God brings us to the place he brings us to is not the way we would go. Who says, I want to have more influence than significance, therefore I will go into a fiery furnace. Hey, that seems like a logical thing to do, right? No one says that. Frequently, the path to God is a winding thing that we would never take. We would never think this is the way I want to go. But frequently, God brings us the way he knows we need to go. So we end up in the place that we need to end up in knowing him deeper and loving him more. In Matthew 25, Jesus said to his servants, you know what? Blessed is a servant who's faithful in the small things because I'll entrust him with larger things. And so as we're talking in this book of Daniel, one of the things I think we tend to do, it's just so big and so audacious, the whole thing is crazy big, that we begin to think, Somehow these, these grand things happen, happen in our life for God to be interacting with us. Well, I want to just tell you this. In what small way is God calling you to obey so that he can trust you with more? This week, what small thing can you do? What small way can you begin to follow God more 
outwardly and more directly. Do you pray before you take your meal? If you go to Subway and eat, do you bow your head and thank God there publicly? If you're in school, do you bow your head and thank God publicly? Start with the acknowledgement of God and worry about what he thinks about you and don't care what anybody else thinks about you. Start that way. Um, I remember when I worked at 3M in um, Knoxville, Iowa, um, I was a young engineer at the time. Man, life was busy. My kids were all little. You remember those days, some of you? Some of you are living them right now, aren't you? You know, I mean, I was working like 10 hours a day. I, 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 we didn't even own a TV. We didn't have time to watch TV. I didn't have time for anything, hardly. You know, and I, I, so I wanted to stay faithful in reading my Bible. And so I, it occurred to me, well, I can just take a break every day at lunch. And I had my own cubicle. I could just kind of bury myself in back in that cubicle. And I could just read some scripture and kind of recenter myself on the things of God in eternity every day. So it refresh my soul. That was my whole goal, right? So, I'm, I'm, so I had this Bible in, a, in one of those carrier things that looked like a little miniature briefcase, right? So I carried my briefcase in that and I never gave it a thought. I did that for years. And every every. every lunch, I would just read a couple chapters of the Bible and, and just kind of say, okay, God, I got your perspective for the day. That's helpful. And so when I go to leave 3M, Knoxville, transfer up to 3M here in Brookings, right? Um, at the going away, people said, we know what's different about you. You carry your Bible with you. you read it. You know what? What? You knew that? People know a lot more than you think they know about you. You know what I mean? They observe a lot more than you realize they observe. I, I mean, it was just a small thing. They saw me carrying in that Bible, and they said, you acted so differently than everybody else. That's why, isn't it? They would come up and say that to me. I didn't have to try to witness, you know. I just, it was easy. They would come up and ask me, what, what, what's going on here? And you, do you read it? Yeah, I read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I believe in Jesus. I would just say that and leave it at that. It was amazing how many opportunities I had like that. But let's, let's, small things matter is all I'm saying. Let's get to the conclusion now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even smell a fire. That's the name of the message, by the way. No smell of fire. And Nebuchadnezzar praised God. Now, remember, God's purpose in the book of Daniel is to have his greatness acknowledged, to be recognized as the one true God. We can't forget the great purpose of our life is the same thing. To have God acknowledged and his greatness realized. We have a discipleship saying for the Grace Point Church I want to share with you once again today. I've already talked about it a little bit. Here's what discipleship means. It means I'm conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Is that good for me? Yes. Is it good for you? Discipleship isn't about doing a study. A study is a means to be a disciple. But it isn't discipleship. Discipleship is when that study is conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ and I'm living it. I'm not just hearing some of it. I'm living it. It's changing what I do. It's changing the purposes of my life. So discipleship is conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Here's the second part. For the glory of God. We do these things to bring knowledge of God on others and ourselves. It's to glorify him, to lift him up on high, to praise his name, to live as a glory to him, to be a holy people set apart for the holy purposes of God. So what's discipleship? I'm conforming to the image of Jesus Christ because it's good for me. And I'm doing it because it glorifies God. Third thing, it benefits others. The more Christ-like you are, the more you benefit those around you and the more you think of others in your life. Daniel's friends had this down. 
they knew God's word. It was good for their soul. When they lived that word out and went into the fire furnace, what did it do? It brought glory to God. Who did it benefit? This crazy king named Nebuchadnezzar was a beneficiary of their faithfulness. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. I'm conforming to his image for the glory of God and and the benefit of others. The king declared that there's no God like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't follow him, I'm going to cut you to pieces and turn your houses into a pile of rubble, his favorite saying. He has a lot of things to learn. We'll see that in chapter 4 next week that he does learn those lessons. But for today, um, we're done. We're done with the message. And I pray this has blessed your soul.